welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about Has, Spike, Harold, and Prince Thicko, so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Spare by Prince Harry. Joining us to discuss this tale of one man's daring escape from a cult of emotional constipation is culture writer, former librarian, and one-third of two bossy dames, Sophie Brookover. Hello, Sophie. Hello, Renata and Kate. It is wonderful to be back with you again. Yes, we're happy to have you. Thank you. And especially happy to have your uh, your royal expertise for this one. <laughs> Thank you. That is, you know, it's one of those things where like, this is not useful information for me to have as a person who <laughs> lives in North America. However, I do have it. So let's <laughs> let let's put it to work. Let's put it to work. Do is this the part where I would establish my um my royal watcher bona fides? Such yeah, as they please are? do. <laughs> okay, so you both know that like I enjoy royal watch stuff, and like I watched mm-hmm. The Crown, and I was very excited about Harry and Meghan's wedding, and their their first baby, and obviously their second baby, but the first baby came at an earlier time, as first babies tend to do. As- <laughs> <laughs> I know that that's true. So I've seen it with my own eyes. So what I, I think you guys don't know is that like over and above all of those, I think fairly like not unusual royal watchy activities, uh, my parents actually trained me almost from birth <laughs> for this. Oh, um, yeah. Wow. Okay. I was, yeah, I was, I was thinking to myself as I read the book, I'm like, I knew that, I knew that, I knew that. So when I was growing up, one of my parents' like big social life things was their membership in the Philadelphia area chapter of, I don't know if it still exists, but it was the Victorian Society. <sighs> Wow. And we went to so many Victorian society events in my girlhood, including like going to see live performances of various um, Gilbert and Sullivan operettas, annual celebrations of the birthday of Queen Victoria, wow. which, in, right, which, in, which were typically held like on the grounds of one of like the big fancy historic houses in the Philadelphia area, like on their lawn. Um, And we would play croquet and dress up and stuff. So like my parents definitely raised all of us to to be Anglophiles. And then I married an Englishman. (laughs) Oh, it worked. It really, it really worked, which is my, my dad actually remarked on it in his toast at our wedding. Um, You know, like, because he was talking about, he talked about the Victorian society. He talked about how like, you know, he and my mom would allow us and then encourage us to watch Masterpiece Theater, uh, Mystery with uh, hosted by the great Vincent Price. Um, You know, I love Jane Austen. Oh, my dad's sister uh, had was married at the time to uh, like an, an oil man who worked for British Petroleum. And uh, for a long time, they lived in England. And she sent over, I remember we had this really fancy commemorative plate. And I don't know what the occasion was, but it was something celebrating Queen Elizabeth II uh, of blessed memory. And um, <laughs> it was it was just a really beautiful, like it had a gold rim and the, um, like the illustration in the main part of the plate uh, was just a very beautiful portrait of her sitting next to like a burgundy curtain 
and it was sort of drawn aside and I, and there was a building in the background and I think the building was Buckingham Palace, but it might've been Westminster Abbey. I don't know. Anyway, I was obsessed with that, with that plate because <laughs> it was just so fancy and really nice. So anyway, those are, those are things that I did. I don't think I watched Charles and Diana's wedding live because I would have been six when that happened. And I don't think my mom was getting me up at six in the morning or whatever to watch it. Uh, but I definitely remember, I remember watching Andrew and Fergie's wedding um, with my mom and my grandma. And then, uh, yeah, oh, I have a lot of memories around Diana's death, uh, which mm. but we can get, we can get to that later. So yes. anyway, those are my, those are the things, those are a roundup of facts that I had not formerly really put all together. All right. Well, Sophie, you're hired. <laughs> Thank you. You're hired for Worst Best Sellers. Wonderful. I appreciate it. In comparison, here is my royal background prior to reading this book. I was aware that there were two princes and that one of them- Cinderella's prince and Rapunzel's (laughs) prince. Mm -hmm. And that one of them was kind of close in age to me. Uh, Prior to the existence of social media, if pressed- I could maybe tell you their names. Um, then social media happened and I absorbed, you know, some facts about them, mostly that they existed and that one had a wife. And then one of my former coworkers was very into not like the royals overall, but got really into like the royal babies. So I was aware whenever there was a new royal baby and I watch a lot of cable shows, so I knew who Meghan Markle was. <laughs> Amazing. Like, much like Prince William, you were a big fan of Suits? <laughs> uh, not even that I was a big fan of Suits, but I was a big fan of other shows that were on USA. So I saw a lot of like, you know, when you, you're watching actual broadcast television and you watch like the first 10 or last 10 minutes of the show that comes on before the show you watch? Mm, sure, sure. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I had done kind of that. <laughs> um and obviously once like all of the completely despicable outpouring of racism and vitriol against this woman started on the internet i was like well that's bad Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i have not read any other articles or books or watched their tv show or their oprah special oh wow i am a blank slate for this book (laughs) Wow. This is amazing. I'm actually like, you know, uh, obviously I said yes to being on your podcast. Um, so, you know, I I like to hear myself talk, but I'm way more interested in hearing about like Kate's experience as a reader than I am in talking about my own. Like, I, I don't know that I need to contribute very much further. I think oh, in no, some ways do. Kate is like an ideal reader for this book. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's 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 a it is a work of propaganda, which is fine. Uh, yes. Like that might be too harsh of a word. No, I think I used that exact word yesterday talking to yeah. Rada about it. Yeah. So like you are, I think, an ideal reader for this book because what he wants to do is get people on his and Megan's side. Yes. Which is a perfectly natural thing for him to want to do, considering all of the completely messy and wild stuff that has happened. In his lifetime alone, let alone, you know, all the stuff that happened prior to his arrival on the scene. First of all, I want to say that while you were talking, I was Googling the Victorian Society. Yeah. And 
Did you know it was founded in 1966? That that to me, when you said it, I was I assumed it was like much older. Like, why are we out here founding a Victorian society in 1966? I have I have a thought about that. This is a hypothesis only. But um, my my dad is a well, he's he's like an artist and a teacher now. But he is a retired uh, historic preservationist, and mm. um, he was saying that basically. You know the the architectural styles that a a cohort of people grow up with, they think are k- kind of awful. Like they find things to be very critical about, and then you know another wave or two of of major birth cohorts, generations, whatever, happen, and then like towards the end of that first one, the middle of the second one, people start looking back at things with more fondness. Um, and I think that there's a similar principle that is applying in this case. Um, so that, that's my, that's my guess as to what happened. People who didn't have experience with life under Victorianism developed some nostalgia (laughs) and decided, Hey, why don't we have a bunch of social activities around that? That seems like fun. That's my guess. Um, anyway, I'm sort of in the middle in terms of royal knowledge. I'm not particularly invested in them, but I do follow pop culture in general more closely than Kate does. Um, and I did spend a semester in London, but I I never developed that exact kind of Anglophilia. Um, I was more of like a Shakespeare girly, I guess, if anything. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew about them. And I did watch The Crown. And I did watch the Oprah special, but I didn't watch... Harry and Meghan's, like, whatever their Netflix thing is. But I watched the Oprah special. So I I definitely, like, like, hey, like, especially once the the racism toward Meghan became more uh, prevalent and more discussed, I was definitely like, oh, my God. Like, I was never anti them, I guess. But I became, like, much more strongly pro Harry and Meghan once once there was, like, an anti-side that I didn't like. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's it's hard to embrace an anti-side that is so like virulently racist and gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say like some of the points that Harry like really refutes in here are things that I had sort of like idly been like, "Oh yeah, like why why does the royal family have so much money and like and they don't seem to be doing a lot and like not realizing how weirdly tightly controlled all that is. And like, look, I think, I think this is a work of propaganda and I think Harry has like two main points that he wants. And one is that like the British press, especially like paparazzi are bad. The media is bad. Um, And then he's walking this kind of careful line where his other thesis is like, I don't have a problem with monarchy. I think the monarchy is fine. And like people don't realize how, how much good the Royal family does. And like the, you know, the family is fine. It's just that like, I didn't want to be involved with the press. And I think that second part was maybe a little bit less successful to me. Like I was like, okay, yeah, this, I understand Harry that you were doing your best in the system, but maybe the system is bad and maybe the Royal family doesn't need to exist in this form anymore maybe you guys should fix something i <laughs> yes i think i think it's a work of propaganda and it's also like his personal deprogramming yeah therapy i think because i like i mean I, we are kind of joking around about how it's a cult but actually it is fully a cult 
Yeah, yeah. they've got the weird outfits. They got the weird rules. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh, the weird rules and the and the use of high ranking members of the cult and or their like their their flax their functionaries to police other members of the cult yeah yeah like it you know his cousin uh huge eugenie um uh i think she and her husband can live a more normal life yeah um, than the rest of them And, and certainly his little cousins um who are the children of his dad's youngest sibling edward they also can probably live normal-ish lives because they're so far down the line of succession. But like their uh, their income is dictated, like they're just much lower priorities in every possible way. And there's good things and slightly more challenging things that they have to deal with. Not that any of these people are lacking for anything material in their lives at all. But yeah, anyway, there's, but there's just no chance for Harry to ever have had a normal life absent mm-hmm. this inc- this huge rupture with his family. So that's, to me, that's very culty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so into the book, it's divided into three parts. And part one is called Out of the Night That Covers Me. Sure. And, uh, and that's like childhood Harry, school Harry, Harry unable to grieve the death of Diana, Harry... It kind of opens, it opens with him meeting with his father and brother after uh, his grandfather dies. After yeah, technically, be- and- technically before part one is the prologue, which is. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Um, and then kind of slips right into like the night of Diana's death and how, you know, his really like how that traumatic childhood experience kind of colored a lot of things that came after and kind of colored the lens through which he experienced the world specifically through being you know the second son the spare quote unquote as opposed if you are as if you are as ignorant of royal things as me he is the spare because his older brother will be king one day and he's just there in case anything ever happens to his older brother or in case his older brother ever needs like a kidney the heir and the spare yes um and you know not being as intelligent as book smart as his brother not being as revered as his brother and not really dealing with the emotional trauma of his mother's death in such a way that he feels he can fit into sort of the the mold of the royal family, you know, set for him. Yeah. That's the first part. The first part was really such such a bummer. So sad. So sad. Like these this family never was able to well not never, but like when he was a child, like no therapy it was truly just that like british at least as presented by harry this like you know british cliche of like stiff upper lip move on like don't talk about it yes this is the saddest thing that's ever happened to you but you still have to like go to school and greet the press and he he talks about this sort of like delusion he developed that diana wasn't dead she was just in hiding and she would you know he's like disassociating from it it's so sad yes it is it is it's (laughs) 
horrifying, honestly. And I regard, you know, they they were all grieving to one degree or another, even Charles, right? Like they'd had this terrible acrimonious divorce. And I don't think he liked her at all and was certainly very happy to be free to pursue, you know, the true love of his life, like a a, a normal relationship with her. But the um I, I really regard the way that the Windsor family dealt with Diana's death with regard specifically to to William and Harry as abusive and just like this fetishization of stoicism <laughs> is so alarming and like I knew that that was real um but the detail into which he goes about it and the you know it just went on and on and on for years oh that poor baby yeah and this is this is actually delved into in later chapters once he starts therapy mm-hmm. but he did actively repress all of these memories of his mother to avoid becoming emotional at them yeah and to also like keep up this you know, like Renata said, this delusion that he created that like, oh, she's fine. She's hiding from the press because they're so awful to her. And when she has a new life established, she's going to come for me. And, you know, th- this this fantasy of not only like his mother is alive and thriving somewhere, but his mother is alive and thriving is going to take him away from this same nightmare that he is in that, you know, caused her in this delusion to you know have to abandon her entire life and go into hiding right it's appalling it really really is and i think that everyone who was party to that and encouraged i mean they didn't know necessarily about this delusion but i I really think that they should be deeply ashamed and resolve within Mm -hmm. themselves never to do that again, either to themselves or honestly, more importantly at this point, the children in their lives. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. just, ugh, it is, it's so upsetting and terrible. You know, and even, even the like more, I don't want to say chiller, but the like, less egregious examples of it like how you know there's times he wants to hug his father or hug his grandmother and he can't because that's not royal protocol he's not allowed Mm. to hug hug them and i Mm. you know like i'm not that touchy-feely with my family but like i certainly fucking hug and kiss my parents when i see them especially now that i live somewhere else you know i hug and kiss my grandmother when i see her i you know, casually touch people in my life. I can't imagine the amount of, from childhood, the amount of pressure being put on someone to not seek physical comfort from your family. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they, they, they perceive, it, it seems like they perceive that kind of emotional openness and physical affection as being like really embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Like that is so not only is it just not done in a protocol sort of way, but, but then they have to treat it as though like it would be very weird for someone to even want to do that. Yeah. That's (laughs) like, that's, that's it's uncouth or like, it's, 
I don't know. It's just like everything has to be so restrained at all times. Yeah, it's frankly a miracle that any of them get through of that, that, honestly. Like, I just think that's really weird. And I actually think that the book is also, consciously or not, on his part, a direct response to and rebuke of that approach. Like, yeah. Yeah. oh, you, you think hugging is embarrassing? You think my wife is pushy because she <laughs> demonstrates physical affection for me, her husband, and our children? Like, that she wanted to have some kind of warm, close relationship with my brother, our sister-in-law, my dad. You, you think that's weird and embarrassing. Well, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to put all of this family's shit out into the street and... I'm not ashamed. Megan and I are not embarrassed about this. So please do not think that there's anything that you can ever say that will embarrass or shame us. Like it can't be done, which also is a deprogramming thing. Like, yeah, a couple of quotes that I pulled from his boarding school days in particular, he's, you know, talking about how, again, like classic stereotypical, like British boarding school, like hazing, mean teachers, blah, blah, blah. And he wrote, there was no torture, Ludgrove, which was the school, could dish out that surpassed what was going on inside me, which is like so emo, but also I feel like probably accurate for this poor kid. And then when he starts getting into sports, he goes like ham at rugby and he's like not the best player, but he's like so reckless and like he's getting hurt playing rugby. And he says, no one had an answer for a boy actually seeking external pain to match his internal. Right. Harry, help him help him and i i will say too um you know i I meant to to start and then we i was just like now let's dive into it as a work of propaganda like this worked on me you know like renata was saying i am obviously more inclined to side with the side that is not like racist piece of shit right (laughs) but going into this knowing very little about like this whole situation like i you know, obviously, like, I recognize it for what it is. But like, I I walked away from it being like, yeah, like, this certainly made me deeply sympathetic to Harry, and the things that he's gone through. And, you know, the situation that he and his wife and his children are in, and the reasons why he did what he did, like, it, and it, and it came, it, it felt to me in reading it, as if it was not like, you know, sometimes you read a memoir, or, you know, something like that. And you're like, oh, okay, like, I can see where, you know, this person is really pushing a particular narrative, and the pieces don't really seem to all fit into place. But this is clearly what they believe. And for me, like, at the end of this, I was like, oh, yeah, like, all the pieces were there for me, like this, this was finally crafted. Like, yeah, like, I walked away being like, yeah, I'm on your side. But also acknowledging that that was exactly what the aim of the book was. So... Yes. And I don't think that that's like, I don't think that he makes any bones about it. Do you know, like he wants it, it. The purpose is to convince the reader. Yeah. And, and he, I think he's really clear about that. Like he, he, I think in his mind, he is clearing up misconceptions. Yes. You know, and so to him, that's not an act of propaganda. That's simply like setting the record straight. Yeah. But in fact, that itself is, you know, he basically he's combating, you know, his family's and the palace's propaganda with, with his own. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. Like, I think we're using it because that's the, 
word that fits best, but, um, you know, there's propaganda and there's propaganda. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you can have propaganda for a good cause or even a neutral cause. I don't know. And, and he does talk explicitly throughout here about times when the press would say something wrong and he would want the palace, capital P, to, like, issue a statement, retract, like, saying the truth or, like, what's the word? Um, Refuting? Refuting, yes. And the palace was like, no, 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 our palace is, like, just not to engage, not to engage, like, say nothing and it'll go away. And Harry sees that that's not the case. And so this is him being like, okay, now now it's my turn. I'm going to refute everything. Yeah, and it's like the and I I had known that the British tabloid press was like off the wall, unchained nonsense a lot of times. But like some of the stuff that he would describe would be not even like very big. Like at one point he gets injured playing rugby and they and it's like he like sprains his thumb or something, but he has to go to the hospital to get it looked at and like they fucking print this story that's like just along the lines of libel saying like oh like he was in a hospital he was gravely injured and we can't print his injuries but you know it was a big deal if he's in the hospital we have to report it to the press like and he was just like in out x-ray done back an hour later and you know, so it just like constantly, like the constant need to make everything that these people do fodder for, like what, what that was like. Okay, <laughs> I want to hear this, please, please. I just, I just don't, I just don't understand. It sounds like a nightmare to me, but also like I just don't, I just don't understand why anyone would care. I don't understand. Like, even thinking of, like, you know, the the people that I admire, the people who I, you know, followed prior to me cutting out a lot of my social media, like the celebrities or whoever that I that I would have followed on social media. Like, I I'm interested in, like, little peeks into their lives, but, like, I don't – I don't need to, to know – like, all this – onslaught of press about every little thing that someone does is just mind-blowing to me that a anyone would care and that they would waste so much time every day in all of these publications writing all of these stories about the most pointless posting these pictures of the most pointless things in these people's lives who has time to give a shit the world is dying. I have my own existential angst that I need to simmer in for at least like twelve hours a day of my sixteen waking hours. Right, but you're but you're not the fabulously wealthy descendant of like the most successful global empire. That's in, what I'm saying. Like, I don't give in, a in shit re- in recent history. Like I can't imagine giving a shit. I can't imagine dedicating all this time to to doing this for people and then like being like, I'm going to waste valuable hours of my day reading these articles and (laughs) absorbing this information about these people. Like, I don't know. I I don't disagree with you. Like it's, (laughs) you know, as I was writing down my little list of my bona fides, I was like, these are the things that I have invested time during my one wild and precious life to learn about. (laughs) Um, you know, 
all of this was a hundred, like absent the Victorian society, which obviously your parents schlep you around hither and yon. But I did enjoy a lot of those things. Um, you know, almost all of this is completely voluntary. Just totally I mean, a optional lot of people, in, a lot in of every people way. Do. Oh yes. Like it is, it is absolutely a hobby. I think that there is like, I, I really cannot explain British tabloid culture. Although I will say that like, all of this nonsense that's been going on like is not a recent invention by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, a long ago, uh, not super, super long ago, I guess, <clears throat> from the Regency period, um, ancestor of Princess Diana, um, Georgiana, Duchess of Devonshire, um, was kind of the Princess Diana of her era um, and was in the tabloids of the era constantly. Um, you know, if it wasn't about her incredible beauty, which she was very beautiful and her, she was an, also an incredible fashion plate, uh, very, very stylish. And she used her, she was very aware of clothing as a tool for conveying certain messages. Like she, mm. she was a girl. So obviously she could not become a member of parliament. Uh, her husband was in the house of Lords and, and they were like, they were very, they were part of that whole group of people. I am not using words very well this morning. I apologize. Um, but so she was, she was a political operative basically uh, much more so than, than Diana, but like did what she could given the, the limitations that were placed upon her in, uh, by virtue of her, her gender and, and particular place in society. And um, yeah, no, she was hounded, absolutely hounded for years and years and years. This isn't so my, it's just, it's not a new thing. Yeah. And I think just to be clear, like, I feel like, you know, which was sort of what I was going to when I was saying I, you know, there's celebrities I follow on social media, like, I don't think there's any shame or anything in, you know, partaking in the like media blitz that these people choose to put on mm -hmm. about themselves. Like, I don't think that like being like, yeah, like, I'm going to watch the Royal Wedding. Like, that's a spectacle. They built it as a spectacle for people to watch. Like, right you know, you're supposed to engage it. I guess it's like, for me, like the part that I can't wrap my head around is like, oh, here's a tabloid picture of like fucking Megan in the checkout line at Whole Foods, like right. very clearly harried and upset. Like let's, let's spend hours tearing apart like every little thing about her expression and what she's wearing as she's running away from the paparazzi. Like, right try like that that's the part of it that's like because you know like yeah like i want to fucking look on your your stupid curated instagram videos chrissy Teigen, about like the food that you're making and like watching television with your kids and you know stupid shit like that but you know it's this this dedication to like trying to catch these people unawares and see what they're like quote-unquote really like in the most you know harried and and threatened possible manner like vultures is just very yeah. upsetting to me yeah it, it is it is that yes i agree i think the 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 justification that they would give in which harry lays out early in the book is that you know the royal family takes public money therefore they are the employees of the uk God, I don't want to know what my fucking employees are doing. Uh, no, neither do I. And the problem is, like, they they can never be off the clock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two points I would like to raise. 
one, just because this hasn't been said explicitly yet on the podcast, uh, part of the reason why British tabloids are so like that is because their libel laws are very um, different than the U.S. and in such a way that it's very hard to prove libel. And so papers are not very worried about getting sued because they can mostly say almost whatever. And it is legally okay in the U.K. Mm. Um, and then the other thing I keep thinking about is when we read Mariah Carey's memoir and she like sort of out of nowhere was like, I love Instagram. I think Instagram could have saved Princess Diana's life. <laughs> which <laughs> Probably which that is, is like, right. Yeah, which is like an unhinged thing to say. But also the more I think about it, the more like I sort of get it. <laughs> I get what she meant. <laughs> like Because Diana didn't have the way to like present her own side of the story I mean, except in like her secret tape memoir, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about Harry, but like, right. <laughs> um, yeah, like this idea that, that things are changing. And now that with social media, like you can share mundane things in a way where you're in control and this is what you're doing. And the paparazzi is the opposite of that. And Harry hates it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. We went on such a digression. We have talked about this book 5%. Of the 35 yeah. minutes we've been recording. That's my fault, <laughs> and I apologize. Oh, no, no, no. I think that background is is helpful. And I mean, yeah, especially for listeners of the podcast who, like you, you know, sort of came in like Royals naive, I guess, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, I think my assumption is always like, well, of course, everybody knows all about this. Like, you could not mm-hmm. help but know about this. It's just, it's in the air constantly. In the way that like, I don't watch football, for example. And yet, you know, I am obliged to know what's going on in a bunch of cases. And like, I choose to for, you know, people I care about who like football, but like, I know more than I need to. Same with Game of Thrones. I was literally, I was literally only about to say, I've never seen Game of Thrones, but I know that winter is coming. I know that Jon Snow knows nothing. Right, right, right. Yes, there's there's a mother of dragons. Oh, it's yeah. very rapey and incesty, and yeah. I would watch yeah. I would watch Peter Dinklage's scenes because I like him a lot as an actor. But yeah, I haven't done that, and I'm not going to pursue it anyway. So yeah. all of which is to say, the I, tangent I, like, is is baked in. Like it's, I think it's significant. Yeah, because I think my assumption is, you know, this book came out months ago. I think people who are like hardcore royal fans, like they read this, they read this, they already have opinions. Like a lot of our listeners haven't read this. Maybe don't have as many preconceived notions about Harry, Megan, right. Royal family. Right. Blah, blah, blah. So like I said, part one of the book is like childhood, boarding school, uh, intense denial and repression of Diana's death. One quote that I want to pull out because I, I think this was something that came out a lot in earlier reviews of the book. And I think it's very funny, but I also really appreciated it. Harry opens the section with the quote, the past is never dead. It's not even past by yeah. William Faulkner. Yeah. And then Harry says, when I discovered this quotation not long ago on brainyquote.com, <laughs> I was thunderstruck. <laughs> I thought, who the fook is Faulkner and how is he related to us Windsors? And I just love that. Like, it's very stupid, but I also genuinely admire the honesty of being like, I'm not going to pretend to you like I was reading Faulkner recreationally. I was on brainyquote.com looking for a good quote for my book and I found it. Like, you know what? I So I started listening to this while I was on driving to meet up with Renata somewhere. 
And like literally the second I parked my car and saw her, I was like, listen, I have two things I need to say about this Mary's <laughs> memoir. I've listened to 15 minutes. <laughs> One is I am so charmed by BradyQuote.com. <laughs> <laughs> and the other is that he goes for the James Patterson short chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. Which okay. I thought was a good choice. It what it read what it reads to me like is like he took his fucking live journal from his <laughs> youth. And I don't know if I know a lot of folks who listen to this podcast are of an age of with me and Renata and spent a lot of time on live journal in your teenage years and you know, just that thing where like you'd go on and you'd like write an entry and it would be like fairly short about some completely random thing that happened to you in the day that at the time felt so important. And looking back at it, even like a couple weeks later, you're like, why the fuck did I write about this? And that's how I feel about a lot of <laughs> a lot of the things that he chooses to highlight in the chapters of this book. They're like super short chapters. And it'll be like one, like, you know, here's one prank that we played with my friends. Here's like one time, like we were playing hallway cricket and this kid got injured and you would think we stopped playing hallway cricket but we didn't right (laughs) it makes me wonder like what did they so obviously there's tons of stuff that is not in the book because it's not a tiktok you know moment by moment of his entire life but you know there's things that he must have talked about yeah because we should say this was ghost written right by jr moringer Moringer, uh, and uh, and the author who actually who wrote his memoir is called The Tender Bar, which is made into a Ben Affleck movie, which brings us full circle to Boston and Duncan, Um, (laughs) and tabloid culture. Yeah, all of it. So yeah, someone else was involved in helping him get this organized, and Harry was like, "You know, you got to put in BrainyQuote.com. You got it." (laughs) Yes, yeah. Well, I imagine that that celebrity memoirs like this, particularly like really, really, really big ones, but it probably goes. I can imagine that it would go for a lot of them. They must have a checklist of like the types of anecdotes that that are important to to include in term, like because each of them is doing a particular job, you know, highlighting different aspects of the, you know, of the subject's personality and, you know, why they are the way they are. And, you know, like such and such an anecdote will, you know, be illustrative of how like this value became really important to me or whatever. And so that again, makes me wonder like, what did they not include? Like, right. what, like I, I also am extremely charmed by the brainy quote, not, like the naivete of that. And like, he's, he does say outright in a bunch of places how undereducated he is mm-hmm. uh, and what an autodidact, like he doesn't say he's an autodidact, but he is. And to me, this is a, like a, a, you know, say it without saying it kind of thing. Yes. I also was extremely charmed by that. Like, why, why would he be reading Faulkner? Yeah. Have you guys read Faulkner? I have not read Faulkner. I think I did in I I think I read Cliff's Notes in high school. Right. <laughs> I was supposed to be reading Faulkner. <laughs> right. Right. I'm an overeducated person, but I because I did not major in literature and because Faulkner doesn't super appeal to me just on his merits as a leisure thing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so like I have but I I I didn't funnily enough, I did know that quote. 
Like when I read it, I was like, yeah. oh, this is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's on brainyquote.com, so you know it's good. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, <laughs> obviously, obviously. The other important things that happen in this chapter is Harry goes on his gap year. And he, first of all, he goes to Australia and acquires the nickname Spike because <laughs> his... Well, because his friends at school had cut his shaved his head against his will, and then it grew back weird, and he had like spiky hair. I mean, and it wasn't entirely against his will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I just think that in like a, like a boarding school hazing scenario, that makes it sound much darker than it was. They were like drunk or high, and he was like, "What if I cut my hair?" And right. so they shaved his head. Like, yeah, yeah. They didn't like hold him down fighting. Yeah. Anyway, he had this unfortunate haircut, and then he did a charity appearance at the Sydney Zoo, and he held an echidna, which is like a, a spiky hedgehog kind of thing, and they're like, oh, it looks like Harry, and the, the echidna's name was Spike, and then they're like, his nickname is Spike, and I just really encourage you to Google Prince Harry echidna, because it's it's so cute, <laughs> like, it's so cute, and it, it also adorable. just hits home, like, he's so young, he, like, you know, it's his gap year. Like he's, I think, eighteen, nineteen. Like he's technically no, but he looks like a little baby, and he's holding this spiky little animal. And I'm just like, you. The press was so mean to this child. Yes, yes. That's the thing that I think is truly unforgivable. Like, yeah, it's bad enough to treat adults that way, but children who didn't ask to be born did not ask to be born into the families into which they were born. Like they have, there is no possible way for them to enter into that arrangement consensually. Yeah. yeah. And then they're living under this microscope and within, you know, he talks about bubbles within bubbles and like yeah. his is like the most insular of them all. And because, because it's a cult, everyone within that bubble treats it as like it, the stuff that they in, deal with um, with regard to their lack of privacy and, you know, paparazzi and their phones being tapped and so on. And this like weird symbiotic abusive relationship that they have with the Royal Rota. Anyone who questions that is obviously a suppressive person. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and so for him to be asking questions like, excuse me, could we just can we just hit pause and back up and talk about some of these things because they don't actually make sense to me. And I feel terrible all the time. How do you guys feel? And everyone's like, no, it's totally fine. You're so weird, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> You're the problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a bummer. And then the second part of his gap year though, is after he goes to Australia and meets the echidna, which is obviously a personal highlight for me. Right. Um, he goes to, <laughs> He goes to Botswana, which is like a huge game changer for his life. And it's really important. And he he's working with um, what are their name? Tej and Mike. Yeah, he meets he meets the, he's working with this like couple who are working on a documentary and they become sort of like surrogate parents to him who are like really important to him And there. I think they're South African, but they're like filming in Botswana. Anyway, this is this is like the first time he goes to Africa and it's hugely important to him. Yeah, like that gap year provided him with like the first feelings of actually, I mean, to him, it's just this intoxicating freedom. We would regard it as just like normal, unimportant person stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it, it's, it's revelatory to him. Yeah. yeah. And then even like when he's in Australia, he's working on a like ranch and then after a few months, the paparazzi find it and they're like circling it and like damaging the fences so that he has to leave because it's like ruining this 
this farm this farmer's life and it just like sucks yeah, yeah. it's yeah. the amount of times in this book that he starts doing he's trying to do something with his life that he enjoys or even things that are his job and he has to quit abruptly and leave because all of these paparazzi find where he is and show up and start to become a danger to like the everyday people around him who are caught in the crossfires of this is just so discouraging. Like after the first time, I don't think I'd ever leave my fucking house again. Mm-mm. So. And that is sort of what he becomes later. Yeah. Um, he In Africa, he meets uh, Chelsea, who's maybe like his first like public fame, like girlfriend as an adult, a young adult. And Here's another quote. I advised Chelsea to treat the paparazzi like a chronic illness, something to be managed. But she wasn't sure she wanted to have a chronic illness. <laughs> yeah. Ch- Chelsea, <laughs> um, of course, like, got, I-, I was only dimly aware of her, but, like, she got a lot of shit <laughs> in the press. And I think, again, because she had the right idea and was asking questions about like why are these things happening this is y'all know this is really weird right <laughs> yeah so obviously she had to go she had to go yeah. a couple more like important things in this chapter are so like you know harry's pretty open he doesn't like school partly because he's deeply traumatized and no one is helping him and he's just sort of is mentally checked out but he's just like not very intellectually curious in a way that look I th- I don't think Harry should have had to go through this. I don't think I would be like personal friends with Harry. Like I, you know, whatever. But he's he seems like a fine lad, but just maybe not somebody who I have a lot in common with. Understatement, obviously. But like he, you know, he doesn't care. Like, and there's times when like he's in history class and the teacher's like, "You're related to these people. Like, aren't you interested?" And he's like, "No." Like he just doesn't care. <laughs> and um, so and honestly, I respect it. Like, yeah. you know, what Again, I mean? he's I not that he's honest about it. Yeah, he's not he's not pretending. No, that he's yeah. like, oh yes, I'm gonna go to Oxbridge, one of those, and you know, be a big intellectual boy. Like, yeah, no. and, like he shouldn't have to. Like no. in an ideal world, Harry could have just been like a fucking farmer, and we never would have heard of him, and he probably would have been happy. Yes, like he, this is not a person who I think should have any hand in international policy. Like, and good good news, he's not. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> good news, he also agrees with this. Yeah. A couple, like, incidents. One, this, I think, got written about a lot when the first book first came out, is that, like, there was an incident where Harry, as a young adult, went dressed as Hitler to a fancy dress, a.k.a. costume party, and he Mm -hmm. tried to contextualize this here and be like, well, I thought it would make William and Kate laugh, and it was their idea, but, like, I did it, and, you know, like, dumb. It was a dumb thing to do, and then he did write about how the press made him go and like talk to a rabbi about it. And I did genuinely feel like he, and again, this is propaganda, blah, blah, blah. But he did seem the most engaged with this as with anything as just like, Oh, that wasn't funny. That was bad. I understand how bad the Holocaust is. Whoops. (laughs) Whoopsie doodles. Right. But it it did feel sincere. Like that he sincerely regretted. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't ever get, one thing I will say for everyone, even, you know, his father and brother who do a lot of damage, is that, like, they, too, come off as sincere. Yeah. Like, their ideas are completely wrong. You yeah. know, they they are harming themselves. They are harming everyone they love. 
the choices that they're making are bad. At the same time, they're not they're not being disingenuous about it. Uh, and I and I think that that there is something meaningful there. Like to me, that creates like a little bit of room uh, for not hating them like a hundred percent. I think it bounces back to what you were saying at the beginning that it's like a cult. Is yeah. like when you're in a cult, you truly believe that what you're doing mm. is what you're supposed to be doing. Right. You know, mm. they were raised in this environment where they were, and again, like, I'm not fucking defend them, like, fuck them all. But like, when you're, when you're raised in this environment and you are taught from day one that this is how it goes and this is what you need to do and this is what you truly believe. Like, we all like to think that we'll be the person who like bucks the trend and leaves the cult, but Renata and I, I have talked with our friends who are in our cult club all the time about how like I fucking be susceptible to a cult. I know it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like I'm not, I'm not better than a cult. Like there just hasn't been one yet (laughs) that, you know, has the, the right flavor to lure me in because I, I too would be susceptible to that sort of like, especially if you're born into it from like literally day one of your whole life. Yeah. And, and also like there, there is something good at, in there which is like we want to live these lives of public service you know this is important we know that we have tremendous influence and we would like to use it for good and i don't doubt that that's sincere but i do think that they everything is so insular and of course like i'd be very curious to know how much charles actually believes this and how much william actually believes this but for sure the late queen elizabeth Definitely did believe that she was chosen by God yeah, to do that job. It's terribly difficult to quit a job if you believe that an all-powerful, all-knowing deity selected you to do it. It's really hard to say, actually, I think what I would really like to do is, um, you know, be an academic or be a hedge fund manager. <laughs> like, yeah. So that I mean, that's there's so much stuff that is structurally baked in to life in that family and at that particular stratum of society that just yeah it's a cult there's just there's so many obstacles to leaving yeah or even doing something different like that's the other thing like also like a cult you know individuality absolutely not no 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 yeah. yeah, you have to you have to be super unimportant in order to like uh, like the Princess Margaret and her children um, mm-hmm. obviously grew up with tremendous wealth and privilege, and they do fairly normal things. Her daughter, I think, is a book editor and a painter, and I can't recall what her son does, but like they live fairly normal lives. Yeah, let's. I want to bounce into part two for a little bit. I know we're yeah. probably going to want to talk about part three. Part two is interesting to me because it it talks about you know, a little bit of his time in the army and goes into that. But what is most interesting to me in part two is that this is kind of like Harry's post-army bachelorhood. And once again, yes, recognize propaganda. I did find a lot of this both deeply charming. And again, I'm deeply sympathetic towards him. Um, He starts to have panic attacks and has like intense anxiety. He refers to himself as an agoraphobe at one point saying that like just any time he had to go out where there might be cameras, he would start to freak out. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and he spent a lot of time where in his house watching friends on repeat. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
he decided yeah. he's a he decided he's a Chandler. <laughs> and also, once again, in my failure of pop culture knowledge, I I've never seen Friends, so I don't necessarily know what that means. It's okay. It's one hundred percent okay. That show does not hold up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as a person who, when I'm, like, super depressed and anxious, stays in my house and watches my favorite shows over and over and over again while making 10-minute trips to the grocery store, uh, I could relate to parts of this. But I I did find it, you know, very sad and also kind of charming. He talked about how he memorized the layout of his grocery store so he would be able to go. He had a whole routine where he'd go like 15 minutes before closing in disguise and just like go bam, bam, bam and hit all of the things that he needed to buy (laughs) and then Mm. buy them and then check out and get home. And then they reorganized the store and he was completely flummoxed. Yes. Um, yeah. And how he would go and he would buy like his whole year's wardrobe at TJ Maxx when they got like the <laughs> new clothes in at the end of the season. The new old yeah. clothes from the designer labels. Yeah. I love that he knew. I don't know like how he knew that that was an option for him, but I, I love that he did. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's great. I We did jump right past the army. I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the army, yeah. but I think we should talk a little bit about it. Here's here's a quote, because also, again, this is like me being like, I think Harry should have just been a farmer. When when Charles is like, okay, well, now you're done with the school and your gap year, what do you want to do? And he was like, I don't know, like be a ski instructor. And Charles is like, you cannot do that. And he was like, um, army? And then he's like, yes, that is like a respectable career for you. And he talks about how easy it was to get in the army. And here's a quote. The army was looking for lads like me. What's that you say, young man? Parents divorced? Mom's dead? Unresolved grief or psychological trauma? Step this way. Which is kind of funny and kind of very sad. And yes. And also accurate. <laughs> I think. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, That's, I'm, which is itself another type of a cult. Yeah. Um, and that you know, and that's true. I think certainly of the U.S. Armed Forces as well as the British. Oh and, you know, yeah. Again, we don't want to get into that. And then again, when he's in the arm, like he does really well in basic training and all that. And he quote, "Nothing could really hurt me in a place where the press couldn't find me." He is like so happy to be in this military base or whatever because there's no press there. And then they right. start like sneaking in and like kind of blowing up his spot when he is supposed to be in Iraq and the press is like, Oh my God, it's Harry. And he like, it sucks. But also like the war in Iraq sucks. So like, I don't know, man, I'm not really in. It's not, it's not a good time. And that part of the book was mostly pretty boring, but again, sucks. Yeah. 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 It, it, it really does. And I can see how that would be a good fit for him because I think the, yeah, it's very, very structured and there's lots and lots of rules that you have to follow. But like, they actually, in it seems like he can find a rationale for them that actually makes sense to him. Yes. Um, and he likes, it's more, like obviously the art military is very hierarchical, but it is way more egalitarian. Yes. Than the, than yes. the sort of social world that he has been a part of for so long. Uh, and yes. I'm sure that it sounded like that felt very good to him. You know, he yeah. talks about how the particular um, job that he ends up getting after he's kind of chased out of Iraq by the press mm-hmm. is working as a forward air controller mm. um, and how like his army 
mentor pulls some strings to get him that job because it's very highly sought after. But once he's there, he's just another one of them. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity. It's it's like a venue where like, you know, uh, you know, this is an experience that like, I think a lot of younger siblings have, particularly in high school. My sister's told me like, Oh, you know, you're Sophie's sister or whatever. Um, You know, he doesn't, obviously everyone knows what family he's in, but like, this is an, you know, a place where he can thrive and shine and it doesn't, he's not afraid of that taking anything away from William. Yeah. Although then it turns out William does get a little bit jealous because William had had some like token military service, but he wasn't really allowed to do much because he's the heir. Right. And then it, it, people liked that Harry was in the military and then William felt like that made him look worse and they had some words about it yeah. as you know as as presented by Harry but it seems plausible yeah. yeah um but so then we bump into part three of the book which, which is, is called when- Captain of My Soul amazing yes and it is uh when he meets Megan and that chapter of his life and it you know it starts out very charming um he she's hanging out with a friend of his and posts his friend posts a picture or a video of them using the dog filter on instagram he's like he like dms his friend and he's like who's your hot friend like tell me more here's how here's how hot megan is for 32 years i'd watched a conveyor belt of faces pass by and only a handful made me look twice this woman stopped the conveyor belt. This woman smashed the conveyor belt to bits. She's very powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she is so, she's very beautiful. There's no question. Um, and it, it, it is oh, yeah. very funny to me. So like they, you know, they chat, they go on a couple dates. They're, you know, like he's really feeling it. And he's like, oh, like she doesn't know anything about my family. And I was like, yeah, dude, she's American. We don't give a shit. Like some people do. <laughs> but like if you ask someone, because he was like very specifically about like different titles and different people who are related to him and different like specific things that happened in the British press that she didn't know about. And it's like, yeah, if you stopped a fucking American on the street and said like, hey, like what's this like very specific incident that happened with the British royal family? They would, well, in Boston, they'd probably tell you to fuck off but <laughs> like you know it's it's not mm-hmm. you know it, 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 it i kind of was like yeah like you really probably should date someone who's not from the uk if you want this kind of even even playing field yes yeah. agreed um i think this book is also just like pro megan propaganda and it works like you read oh, this yeah. and you're like this girl is cool as hell like love her yeah, she's a really interesting person. And I, I actually, one of my favorite things about him is that his favorite, some of his favorite things about her are that she is very curious, that she's interested in the world at large. She asks lots of questions because she's invested in knowing stuff. She's super well educated. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I I like it when a man is like, oh my goodness, this impressive woman actually wants to spend time with me. Like, I know, that, and, and because- that is a huge green flag in my yeah. eyes. <laughs> yes, and because it's from Harry's point of view, I honestly was like, this seems like Megan could do better. Like, what is <laughs> Megan getting out of this? Yeah. Oh, she she definitely could, and her friends tell her as much. You know, when things start getting really bad, they're like, is 
literally anyone in the world worth what you are experiencing? And specifically this man, is he worth all of this? Like her dog develops a psychological problem. Yeah. To the point that she has to rehome him. The press keep like stalking her too. And so the noises from the press scare the dog so much that she has to rehome her dog. Yeah. And I mean, she is, she's extremely traumatized. She winds up uh, suicidal. Um, and you know, I recall when the news first broke that they were, um, you know, sort of stepping back from their, their responsibilities. And my first response was, Oh my God, like what happened? What? And then I thought, Oh, you know what happened? Yeah. Yeah. You know exactly what happened. And just like, you know, you do not need to be reminded of what happened to his mom and what a terrible, tragic formative experience that was, you know, you know what happened <laughs> and that, yeah. that it was so shocking and surprising to any member of his family is also super horrifying to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that one, one story that I really like from their early courtship was um, they have this quick meeting and then she has to leave because she's going back to Canada to do suits and then she's really busy. And she said, it says she was doing the full eat, pray, love. And Harry says, eat, <laughs> eat what now? She's, the book? Ah, uh, sorry. Not really big on books. <laughs> and, that, and that Megan heard this and was like, no, oh, yeah. you also marry you. Hell yeah. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> also, it's like, deeply love another, like, Megan, you could do better moment is, like, the first time he invites her over to his place to, like, make dinner with him and <gasps> hang out with him. And she, like, is, like, you dry your laundry on the radiator. You have a beanbag chair. Like, your sofa is, like, this weird hand-me-down futon. Like, you're a prince and you live like you're yep. in a frat house. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like... Yeah. There just there simply must have been undeniable like chemistry sparks fly that is not translating to the page like <laughs> yeah there must have been something more than what we see here because it truly is like Megan get out <laughs> right like Megan you and are... this is from his point of view <laughs> yes right 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 like his he didn't have to you know sort of show those elements of himself but he did um yeah it's i I don't know maybe like you know how uh when he's talking about a frogmore cottage and and the queen is like it's kind of a mess like it's a it's a construction site but like it has good bones i feel like like when megan met him and was charmed by him I feel like maybe that was part of it too. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> she's oh, like, Harry has good bones. He has such good, such potential. Yeah, like I could really do something with this, and I and I don't mean that <laughs> in like a conscious level. Yeah, but there is, there is, you know that that type of dynamic where you know one partner just like thinks, oh man, this other person is so incredible. And like, what do I have? What am I going to bring to the relationship? You know? Um, And the other person is like, oh my gosh, like I I could be influential here. I could really be the making of this person. I don't know that those things happen at a conscious level, but they definitely do happen. And I think that that's what we're part, part of what we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we see too, just like the, you know, as we get past the like 
you know, cheery, like, first love between him and Megan when they're still under the radar of the press. You know, he tells his family and they're all very happy for him. And then once it becomes, like, official official, like, the the tune starts to change very abruptly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, initially when he had told Kate and William that she was, you know, Meghan Markle from Suits, they like flipped out because they're like, oh, my God, we just watched Suits. That's great. Like, that's incredible. And then like when they first meet her, they're immediately like kind of standoffish. It's, you know, his father's so happy that he has this relationship. But then like, you know, it just seems it it seems like such a fucking Bummer. Hey, guys. Hey, my other friends who are white ladies. Racism's bad, it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know about this? Yeah. Yeah. It fucking sucks. Yeah. 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 Their their ignorance is truly wild to me. It's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then in addition to like the racism and the ignorance of the racism, and again, this is Harry's point of view, but it does seem to check out. Like he believes that that William and Kate and Charles, they're all jealous of Megan because she's so beautiful and charming. And like in initially, like the press likes her and like she's so able to like charm people. And then the press starts to turn because they are getting these like leak stories. Like the calls are coming from inside the house. Like the family is turning on Megan because like they want to be the stars. Yeah, Yeah. and very specifically, he sort of lays the blame on his father and Camilla without outright saying, like, in in literal text, like, they – Camilla was – like, he talks early on about how Camilla convinced his father to order – to hire a particular spin doctor and how that's the office that a lot of these stories started to be traced back to. Right. And that that is, and it is very funny to me that like early on when he talks about like his father introducing them to Camilla and like wanting to get married to Camilla and how like they were like, oh yeah, like we want you to be happy. But he never really sells in the book that he actually gives a shit about her at all. No. No. I mean, (laughs) it, it would take, I think, a lot more therapy than he has already done. (laughs) to feel okay about or warmly towards Camilla. Like the only, I think the only thing that he likes about her is that she seems to make his dad really happy. Like that is genuinely a true love match and good for them. Yeah. And he just says that over and over again. Yeah. 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 Which is fine. Nobody needs to be over the moon about, you know, the relationship choices that their parents or siblings make. It's that's not required. It's wonderful when it is the case. I have two amazing brothers-in-law and I'm just think they're terrific. But like not everyone can say that. <laughs> you know. And it is that like Harry he seems like such a normie and he just has this dream of like when I have my wife and William has his wife then we can be like go on yeah. double dates and like I, I can we can just pop over and visit the kids and like be really close to my niece and nephews and like he just seems to want like this sort of normie happy marriage happy like not to be the prince not to like whatever just to like be close to his family and love his wife and have some sort of job that he can you know that doesn't require a lot of like book learning to do yeah 
Um, so the, the the bulk of this chapter is just kind of as the fractures that happen as he and Megan like become serious about their relationship and get married and the way that the royal family and the offices of the palace are pushing them out. And he goes into in the latter half of it, a lot of like the nitty gritty details about, you know, they're requesting more security. They're requesting pushback to the press. They're requesting to step back a little bit from royal duties without severing their connections and all of these things and how they're all kind of ignored and pushed aside until and how even, you know, when they do finally break, they weren't initially they didn't want he and Megan did not want to break from the royal family the way that they did. They were presented with five options, like with one being everything stays the same and five being we go nuclear and he wanted three, but they refused. They were like, it's either one or five, baby. That's it. Yeah. And there's a whole little like very, very uh, slight like spy versus spy thing where like one of the queens, like, I don't know, PR dudes, the B, I believe, um, says to Harry, like, oh, yeah, we had press releases prepared for each of the five options. Um, But since we're going with five, that's what we're going to release. And Harry's like, well, can I read the other ones? And he's like, no, sorry, 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 my printer. It just isn't working. Like, you know how those IT problems can be? And so he goes to that guy's office and his assistant, you know, who has no idea that this conversation has happened, uh, is printing stuff out when Harry arrives. And he's like, oh, like, is your... I thought your printer was on the fritz. And he's like, oh, God, no, this thing's a workhorse. It'll never die. <laughs> and he just turns around and leaves and sees the bee in the hallway. Just <laughs> like, I know what you did. And you know that I know what you did. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> there has to be so, like a, a really vicious pleasure, which I do not begrudge him, in uh, putting that kind of detail in the book. Like, yeah. Just like, you know what? You have earned the right to be petty as hell. <laughs> yeah. He he likes the ability to, like, raise awareness to the causes he cares about, which we didn't even really talk about, The is the Invictus Games, which I think a lot of people, you know, know about. It's the, like, wounded warrior type international games for wounded veterans. And as a, as a veteran himself, like, that's, oh, Torte, stop it. As a wounded veteran himself, um, Duarte is also wounded. Um, I was just going to from... say, who's to say that Duarte is not a wounded veteran? Yeah. Oh my goodness, he has a lot. Is he okay? Yeah, he he's just, just like this. <laughs> is it because he's just like supremely jealous of time that you spend not with him? Uh, um, that's a, such a generous reading of his behavior. <laughs> I thought I was being really harsh. Oh my god, <laughs> he's a chaos gremlin. Uh, he's a, yeah, but also I, he he supports wounded warriors. Yeah, um, he's anti racism. He loves Megan. Oh, bud, get out of here though. Oh, okay. Uh, 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 he wants to be able to keep doing this charity work. He thinks yeah. that's like cool and important, and he really cannot underestimate how important it is to him that like the royal family pay for security that they need and that's like the hugest sticking point to him and i feel like when news kind of came out about this in the you know outside the book in the real world i think a lot of people are like okay like you have to pay for your own security like wah and then like 
but it is like six million pounds a year or whatever for the kind of like bodyguards that they need and and they only need them because of this family like if they were like whatever man well yeah. and and they he says you know the only person in the family who needs that same level or higher of security is my grandmother like we were specifically told by our protection officers that the level of threat credible threats against the, my family are second only to what are leveled you know directed at the queen yeah and it there's like it's like a heartbreaking little pack, passage too because he finds out because his security guard who he's like close to calls him and says like or his bodyguard his head bodyguard and says like Harry like I've got terrible news like we all have to leave yeah like they're calling us back and there's nothing we can do and like you know he shows him emails that he's sending like begging them to let them stay or at least like let them pull out more gradually to give them more of a time to get a new plan in place and they're just like nah dude you gotta come home and it's just it sucks it sucks guess what i read this book and i don't like these other royals yeah (laughs) surprise yeah yeah it's the the one i mean there's a couple of things that i you know as we've been saying it's propaganda blah 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 um but i think a big challenge for him. And I, I, you know, he's a youngish man. He's got plenty of years to address this and I hope, you know, improve in this area. He kind of wants to have his cake and eat it too. Do you know what I mean? Like he has personal wealth that he and his brother inherited from their late mother. Megan is, you know, independently wealthy in her own right. Mm-hmm. And able so, to pr- able to use her own credit card to purchase sofas from sofa.com <laughs> when they're on sale. When they're on sale, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they can afford to continue to live lives that are within uh, more of a bubble than than your average bear, right? Yeah. So like, but at the same time, he just wants to be a regular guy. He just wants to be a decent husband and father and a good friend and to try and do some good work in the world. And all of that is is perfectly admirable. I have no problem with it. But like, I don't think he could actually or would want to live an actual normal life. Yes. I, I, I think that he is, it might be too late for him to even make the attempt should he have the opportunity to do so. He mentions this essay that Hilary Mantle wrote comparing yeah. the the royal family to like rare pandas who are living in captivity. Mm-hmm. And um the thing is like she's not wrong. And like no. it's not his it's not his fault that he is like an endangered panda who you you know needs to have a zookeeper feeding him bamboo or he's gonna die. Like that's right. not his fault. No. He was no, born there. He did, he did not ask for that. And yet, like, I mean None of us asked to be born into the circumstances into which we were born, right? So true. And so, you know, what's what is standing in his way? Yeah, and what he has shucked off is significant. Like, I don't want to diminish that, but like, I there just seems to be like an awareness and understanding gap. He did. Here's another quote I pulled. I'd been forced into this surreal state, this unending Truman Show in which I had never carried money, never owned a house key, never once ordered anything online, never received a single box from Amazon, almost never traveled on the underground. 
once at Eaton on a theater trip. Sponge, the papers called me. But there's a big difference between being a sponge and being prohibited from learning independence. Yep. So that actually, I, I appreciate you including that actually because I had forgotten it. And it is that that suggests a higher level of self-awareness than I had previously thought. So keep, but, keep going, Harry. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> One of the things that we didn't mention in that happens in this section, which which we did refer to a little bit earlier on, is that when like all at the beginning of kind of his press journey with Megan, they get into a fight one day and he like yells at her and oh. she says to him, like, you can't talk to me like that. Like if we're going to be in a relationship, you can't talk to me like that. Like there is something going on with you that has that has given you this anger and you need to fucking figure it out and yeah. not talk to me like that ever again. So he starts therapy again. He mm-hmm. had tried once a long time ago when he had first started having the panic attacks, but he hadn't found a therapist that he liked. And he manages to find one now who really like kind of helps him process like being in this bubble and lets him be honest about his feelings about his brother and his father and the royal family and his mother's death and like helps him unlock like he says to her like i haven't i have only cried twice since my mother died about her like once a very little bit the day of her funeral and once like with an ex-girlfriend that i was like really emotionally close to when she came up in conversation and even that was like not a very long cry. And I think I need to do something about that. And he, you know, he talks about, he talks about like getting memories back of his mother, like and unlocking like these traumatic responses that his brain, it it just like fucking love this for him. Love, love this journey for him. Yes. And actually I think there, there is something that this book can do that is good for anyone who reads it or anyone who's aware of it actually, which is to normalize therapy. Mm-hmm. You therapy, you know, like I think we're, we're conditioned to think of therapy as being something that one seeks in a crisis. Like when one has a very specific thing that they need help with, that they finally are like, Oh man, I need help with this. But in fact, like therapy is really good for everyone all the time. You know, it's it's it turns out that you know working with a highly trained professional who's really good at their job, whose job it is to help, like to ask you some difficult questions, and to help you process stuff that's happened to you, and to articulate you know your priorities in life. That's very helpful. That you don't need to wait for an some kind of acute crisis to erupt to seek that and to benefit from it. And it's not, it's good for you. It's good for everyone around you. And the, you know, the degree to which his family has such a horror of uh, talking about their feelings and addressing the fact that they do have negative feelings that, you know, need to be paid attention to. I I just think that that is actually a good, that is a, a potential good outcome generally because of the existence of this book. Yeah. And, and like, A, yes, therapy is, you know, helpful to anyone. But B, if your mom dies when you're a small child, like, definitely, mm. definitely you should put those kids in therapy. And yeah. like, if, yeah. if anyone listening to this is in the unfortunate situation of having been widowed and has children and is like, should I put my kids in therapy or not? Like, yeah, please do. And yes, also, you sorry for your loss. Sh- exactly. And you should go too. Because yes. grief, grief, the other thing is that like, 
I mean, everyone is being lied to, but I think it, um, you know, he and, and Will were particularly lied to in terms of like, you know, being basically being told grief is linear and time is going to fix it. Like, yeah. don't, you know, don't worry your head about it. This is going to, you're going to be fine. Yeah. But, you know, narrator, he was not fine. <laughs> yes. So. Um, yeah. So just like, let's blow on through. Like, they, yeah. you know, they break with the royal family. They move to the U.S. COVID happens. They stay in Tyler Perry's house, which is a wild cameo. But Tyler Perry seems to have been genuinely lovely to them. Yes. Um, th- they get their own house in California. A hummingbird comes in the house. End of book. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I do want to point out, like, I, I, I appreciated that they talked about, uh, like, that he talked about the fertility issues that he and uh, yeah. Megan had had. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, she had lost too much weight. Yeah, from the stress. To, oh, yeah. my gosh. And, yeah. the, and then her miscarriage is just, that is heartbreaking. Ugh. And and again, that is another thing that like makes like oh celebrities they're just like us. Yes, anyone can have fertility problems. Surely you know about the situation with Catherine of Aragon, <laughs> um, which Henry the Eighth is was the spare. His brother Arthur died, mm. and so he became he became the heir. He was elevated to heir status, and basically he inherited his brother's wife. Yeah, that's how he wound up married to Catherine of Aragon. Now, admittedly, that is a major simplification of what happened but that that is the gist of it and if you would like to know more about it you should read hillary mantel's wolf hall or listen or, to or six. watch the six or watch <laughs> sure or watch the six absolutely six will definitely give you a um nuanced understanding of the situation for sure for sure yes. for, uh, for, and- for sure for sure and it's catchy and it slaps uh yes we had there is some stuff in here that uh, I think came out a lot in the media and was excerpted stuff about like the fighting between Kate and Megan. Mm-hmm. And look, obviously this is pro Megan propaganda, but Kate seems like she was maybe just like too British to function. And <laughs> yes, you're not wrong. I just, I, I love the way that you framing it that way in particular was very amusing to me. Yeah, like Harry's trying because I do think Harry one day would love to reconcile with his brother. And so I think he is trying to walk this delicate line and being like, well, Megan is flawless. Megan did nothing wrong. But also, like, I kind of get where my brother and his wife were coming from, I guess, a little bit. But anyway, like, this was horrible. And um, I I think if you're interested in that, you probably like heard all the stuff about like the crying over the wedding dresses and blah, blah, blah. And if you're not interested, then you're not interested. And here we are. But th- that was in this section, too. Like, a lot yeah. of the stuff about the wedding and the fighting and the Kate and the Megan of it all. And you know what? I'll hashtag Team Megan, obviously. Yeah. 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 I- I'm generally hashtag royal wives or royal spouses, but in particular, Megan. So, yeah, that's just the book in it. And um, obviously, much more happens. And if you are that invested in Harry and Megan, there's no shortage of them on the internet. You can find them. Um, but we'll give you a couple of dramatic readings and just give you a direct dose of Prince Harry's life. And I think Sophie's up first. Yes. Okay. So I'm just going to set this up briefly. Uh, this bit was certainly excerpted and, and made much of. So he he got terrible, terrible frostbite on his penis. So that's, <laughs> that's the setup. So... 
Um, upon reaching the top of the world, the four wounded soldiers uncorked a bottle of champagne and drank to Granny. They were kind enough to phone me and let me listen to their joy. They'd set a world record raised by a truckload of cash for wounded veterans and reached the bloody North Pole. What a coup! I congratulated them, told them I missed them, and wished I could have been there. A white lie. My penis was oscillating between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatized. The last place I wanted to be was Frost Nipistan. Wow. <laughs> um, I had been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. I found a tube, and the minute I opened it, the smell transported me through time. I felt as if my mother was right there in the room. Then I took a smidge and applied it, ellipsis, down there. Weird doesn't really do the feeling justice. I needed to see a doctor ASAP, but I couldn't ask the palace to find me one. Some courtier would get wind of my condition and leak it to the press, and the next thing I knew, my todger would be all over the front pages. I also couldn't just call a doctor on my own at random. Under normal circumstances, that would be impossible, but now it was doubly so. Hi, Prince Harry here. Listen, I seem to be having a spot of bother with my nether regions, and I was just wondering if I could pop around and... <laughs> uh, so. Eventually, uh, uh, a friend finds him a doctor and he and he goes and the doctor is basically like, yeah, man, this stinks. But uh, you, you actually, I promise time will fix this. You're going to be OK. And he he sort of leaves it at that. <laughs> All right. Um, I am doing next and I'm reading a little bit about Harry's shopping habits during his bachelorhood. Besides my own laundry, often laid out to dry it on my radiators, I did my own <laughs> chores, my own cooking, my own food shopping. There was a supermarket by the palace, and I went there casually at least once a week. Of course, I'd plan each trip as carefully as a patrol around Musaquala. I'd arrive at different times randomly to throw off the press. I'd wear a disguise, low baseball cap, loose coat. I'd run along the aisles at a warp speed, grabbing the salmon fillets I liked, the brand of yogurt I liked. I'd memorized the map of the store plus a few Granny Smith apples and bananas, and of course, some crisps. Then I'd sprint to the checkout. Just as I'd honed my pre-flight checks in the Apache, I now honed my grocery shopping time down to 10 minutes. But one night, I got to the shop and began to run up and down the aisles, and everything had moved. I hurried over to an employee. What happened? Excuse me? Where is everything? Where is... Why is everything moved? Honestly? Yes, honestly, to keep people here longer so they'll buy more stuff. I was gobsmacked. You could do that by law? A bit panicky, I resumed running up and down the aisles, filling my trolley as best I could, keeping an eye on the clock, then rushed to the checkout. That was always the trickiest part because there was no honing the checkout. It all depend on others. More, the checkout counter stood right beside the news racks, which held every British tabloid and magazine, and half the front pages and magazine covers were photos of my family, or my mom, or me. More than once, I watched customers read about me, overheard them debating me. In 2015, I overheard them frequently discussing whether or not I'd ever marry, whether or not I was happy, whether or not I might be gay. I always, always tempted to tap them on the shoulder. Hello. One night in disguise, watching some people discuss me and my life choices, I became aware of raised voices at the front of the queue, an older married couple abusing the cashier. It was unpleasant at first, then intolerable. I stepped forward, showed my face, cleared my throat. Excuse me, not sure what's going on here, but I don't think you should be speaking to her like that. The cashier was on the verge of tears. The couple abusing her turned and recognized me. 
They weren't in the least surprised, however, just offended to be called out on their abuse. When they left, it came my turn to pay. The cashier tried to thank me and beg- as she bagged my avocados. I wouldn't hear of it. I told her to hang in there, scooped up my things, and ran like the Green Hornet. Shopping for clothes was much less co- was so much less complicated. As a rule, I didn't think about clothing. I didn't fundamentally believe in fashion. I couldn't understand why anybody would. I often got mocked on social media for my mismatched outfits, my ratty shoes. Writers would flag a photo of me and wonder why my trousers were so long, my shirts so crumpled. They didn't dream that I dried them on the radiator. <laughs> Every year, I received from Pa an official clothing allowance that was strictly for formal wear suits and ties, ceremonial outfits. For my everyday casual clothes, I'd go to TK Maxx, the discount store. I was particularly fond of their once-a-year sale when they'd be flush with the items from Gap or J. Crew, items that had just gone out of season or were slightly damaged. If you timed just right, got there on the first day of the sale, you could snag the same clothes that others were paying top prices for down the high street. With 200 quid, you could look like a fashion plate. Here too, I had a system. I'd get to the shop 15 minutes before closing, grab a red bucket, hurry to the top floor, begin systematically working one rack and down the other. If I found something promising, I'd hold it up to my chest or legs, stand in front of a mirror. I never dawdled over color or style and certainly never went anywhere near a changing room. If it looked nice, comfortable, into the bucket it went. If I was on the fence, I'd ask Billy the Rock. He delighted in moonlighting as my stylist. At closing time, we'd run out with two giant shopping bags feeling triumphant. Now the papers wouldn't call me a slob, at least for a little while. <laughs> Buddy. Yeah. Oh, one thing that I I have seen people highlight on social media and be like, LOL, what's TK Maxx? It is the same thing as TJ Maxx, but in the UK they call it TK because there's a British chain of stores called TJ Hughes, and they didn't think the they didn't think the market could sustain two TJs. That's all. Um, okay. My dramatic reading is also from Harry's bachelor phase, but it's when he's in California and visiting a friend and then the friend connects him with Courtney Cox, aka Monica from Friends, which Harry's very excited about. And so he's at a party at Courtney Cox's house. Another party began. Among the newcomers was a bloke who looked familiar. Actor, my mate said. Yes, I know he's an actor. What's his name? My mate couldn't remember. I went over and talked to the actor. He was a friendly sort, and I liked him straight away. I still couldn't place his face or call up his name, but his voice was even more vexingly familiar. I whispered to my mate, where do I know this guy from? My mate laughed. Batman. Sorry? Batman. I was into my third or fourth tequila, so I was having trouble understanding and processing this remarkable bit of new information. Fuck, yes, Batman Lego movie. I turned back to the asker and asked, is it true? Is what true? Are you him? Am I Batman? <laughs> he, he smiled. Yes. What a thing to be able to say. I begged, do it. Do what? The voice. He shut his eyes. He wanted to say no, but he didn't want to be impolite. Or else he recognized that I wouldn't stop. <laughs> he fixed me with his ice blue eyes and cleared his throat and in perfect gravelly batman said, hello, Harry. Oh, I loved it. Again. He did it again. I loved it even more. We shared a big laugh. Then, maybe to get rid of us, he led my mate and me to the fridge, from which he extracted a soft drink. While the door was open, we spotted a huge box of black diamond mushroom chocolates. Someone behind me said they were for everybody. Help yourself, boys. Uh, and then Harry does shrooms in the presence of Will Arnett, although Will Arnett does not do the shrooms. 
I love this story so much. I, by the way, he never names Will Arnett by name, but that is who Lego Batman is. And uh, I loved it. Like, I don't know why this did not get as much attention as Frozen Todger. Cause to me, the, <laughs> to me, Harry accosting Will Arnett at a party, demanding he do the Batman voice and then tripping on shrooms. Like yeah. what a, what a oh. night. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a charming book. Let's move on to reader's advisory and suggest some stuff to read instead of or in addition to this book. And I mean, I'll say if you're like a true royal head, again, you probably have already read this. If you're indifferent, I mean, I think probably you can get the most kind of charming excerpts online. You probably don't like really need to read this, but it's fine. Yeah. And yeah. I will say he does read the audiobook. Uh, he's a very good reader, even though I listened to it at like 2x because I waited too long to start reading it. Story of my life. But he is he's a good reader. So, yeah. Um, I know Sophie has a bunch of uh, royal and British adjacent reads. So I'll let her recommend that. I'll just say, I don't think this book is, is, is as good as Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. But I do think there is a kinship there. And I do think that Matthew McConaughey and Prince Harry could be, like, really tight bros. <laughs> yes. I can totally see that. I feel like of all the royals, Prince Harry is the most likely to have been playing bongos in the nude. wild tripping balls like that just seems that seems like that would be on brand for him so yeah and they both love africa the entire continent of africa they both love it right an undifferent a vast undifferentiated landmass with no specificity whatsoever just africa okay so i have a bunch uh and i'll just go through them quickly so one obviously the royal we and uh and its sequel um by the wonderful fug girls heather and jessica uh i definitely recommend those they're a lot of fun it's sort of like an au of the the windsor family yeah i i really like those books too yeah they're 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 really fun and you know it's not as if everything that happened in real life maps perfectly to the books but um, they were, I, I will say they were prescient in some ways. Um, let's see what else. Oh, another royally one is uh, a book which has been published under two different titles. One is 99 Glimpses of Princess Margaret. Uh, Princess Margaret being uh, Queen Elizabeth's younger sister, uh, who famously, although Harry grew up not knowing this, uh, was prevented from marrying her first choice of husband uh, because he was divorced. So anyway, she she too was the spare and the book it's like it's catty sometimes, but it's also very illuminating at other times. Um so that's worth a read. The author is Craig Brown. The other title that it, you can find it under is Ma'am Darling, and I'm not sure why. I think 99 Glimpses of Princess Margaret is much more evocative and, and intriguing. I would also say, uh, you know, while, while you're here thinking about Hillary Mantle and her opinion on uh, the royal family as a bunch of pandas, uh, I would definitely recommend Wolf Hall, which is a lot more fun than I thought it would be uh, and is actually now one of my favorite books. Yes, it's it has a lot more humor in it than I would have imagined. And I think one of the great triumphs of it narratively is its very convincing portrayal of Henry VIII as like one of history's greatest fuckboys. And uh, yeah, like the real couple in the, like the real pairing, not necessarily couple, but pairing uh, in Wolf Hall is actually between uh, Thomas Cromwell uh, and Anne Boleyn. 
Like they don't, he doesn't come right out and say like, she was way too smart for the king, but she was way too smart mm-hmm. for the king. Great recommendations. Thank you for sharing them. We'll have them all up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And now it's time for our favorite game, The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be in this book. Mm. And Sophie can choose uh, which most enhances the book or paper, which is to leave the book as is. Um, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would just be at that same party at um fuck, what the hell's her name? Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox's house. He would just be at that same party at Courtney Cox's house. Uh, and he just also would get really high with Prince Harry and, you know, trip in Courtney Cox's bathroom and have a delightful experience. Uh, over the course of the evening and there'd just be some more comical scenes of the two of them palling around together uh, at this Hollywood party. Mm. Um, if Wolverine were in this book, there is a canonical comic where Wolverine is in Africa and it is established that he can use his keen senses to psychically communicate with elephants. This is a comic I am obsessed with and we are as a society not talking enough about how Wolverine can psychically talk to elephants. And uh, so he would be in Botswana and meet Harry and, you know, communicate with Harry, with the elephants. They would become, you know, friendly at least. And then as a favor to Harry, I think, you know, next time he was passing through the UK, he would pop over and just like stab a few paparazzi as a treat. Like, of course, I don't like to be have to have to choose between Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Wolverine, but since it's required, I will. And I think I lean ever so slightly towards Wolverine in part because the elephant communication, please say everything more that is possible to mm-hmm. be said. And I would simply love to hear Wolverine refer to Harry as Bub at some point. And, yes. uh, and the stabbing of the partic- particularly odious paparazzi, no jury would convict. And how would they even catch Wolverine anyway? So mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. really a victimless crime. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, all right. And now it is again time for Dorje's Corner. Well, here we'll share his opinions, although he has already weighed in and caused some light ruckus by stepping on a cord. But you know what? He's, he's the king of this household. So what am I going to do about it? Anyway. You know, Dorothy, we didn't talk about the part in Africa where uh, Harry believes that Diana's ghost is communicating him to him through a leopard. And I think you're right. That was like really deranged and beautiful. Yeah, I was, you know, it was a great it was a great moment for cat kind. Definitely. And, uh, you know, we love we love a fever dream. Yes. And I will say, you know, of course, we know Megan and Harry are dog owners. Given this connection to leopards, you would think they would want to get a cat. And um, maybe that'll be his next book is about the cat they adopt. That sounds great. Would read. Yes. Um, All right. Uh, Thank you, Duarte. And for for everything that you do, you little chaos monster. Uh, Do any humans have any closing thoughts? I generally enjoyed this. You know, mo- much more than I thought I was going to. The end. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was illuminating in in certain ways, um, and I, I wish him well. I really yes. do. Yeah. Closing thoughts. Hashtag Team Megan. Yes. One hundred percent. 
Hashtag UK, do whatever you need to do to fix your libel laws and get your paparazzi situation under control. Uh, all right. Well, Sophie, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me back. This was delightful. Of course. Um, if you'd like to come talk to us online about, um, I don't know, whatever you might be applying to your Todgers. No, don't tell us that. I, as soon as I, as soon as I started no. saying that, I was like, no. <laughs> Literally no one wants to know. Don't do, do that. Do not do that. Do not do that. Instead, please tell us about any times you may have done shrooms with Will Arnett. I would like to know about that, whoever you are. <laughs> there you uh, go. If you want to do that, we are online at uh, Worst Bestseller Spelled Normally on facebook and instagram and on twitter at worst bestseller with no s because okay harry is very upset that opal fruits changed their name to starburst at some yeah. point mm-hmm. and starburst took the s that's they took it and so i'm with harry i hate that they did that they and you might say opal fruits does have an s in it but you know what uh stop being a cop <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing speaking of fever dreams <laughs> yeah we're fine we're fine kate what else what else should people know about us you can find us on uh spotify google play apple podcasts amazon all of the places where podcasts are from and if you do find us on one of those platforms please take a moment to rate and review when you rate and review it moves us up the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us uh, if you don't rate and review about it, we're going to write a nasty article about you uh, in the British tabloids. Just kidding. We would never do that. That's terrible. We would never do that to someone. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like keep our equipment up to date and pay for our web hosting. Uh, and in return, you get all sorts of perks, like a monthly bonus episode where Renata and I just talk about what we're into right now, and postcards and stickers in the mail. We also have merch available that you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch and find all sorts of things from our podcast to wear on your body. And finally, we do have a Discord server where fans of the show can mingle amongst themselves and talk about all sorts of basically whatever they want. Episodes, Riverdale, it's up to you. Follow your heart. And that link is also on worstbestsellers.com. Please come talk about Riverdale with us. Uh, Finally, if you want just me and also Duarte stepping on the keyboard, I'm online at Renata Snacks. And if you're looking for me, I'm at 14 across. Sophie, where can we find you? Sure. Um, I am at Sophie Biblio across most platforms. Come say hi, even on Twitter, which is slowly sinking into the ocean. Um, And you can read my wonderful newsletter that I co-write with uh, Dame Margaret H. Willison, recent guest on this very program, Mm -hmm. and Dame Karen Corday, soon to be guest on this very podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is Two bossy dames at substack.com. We would love to count you among our readers. Yeah. I am one. Join me in reading yeah. the two bossy mm-hmm. dames. Um, please. Uh, all right, Sophie, thank you so much again for joining us. And thanks everyone for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks uh, with another celebrity memoir. It's Celebrity Memoir May, which we forgot to say, but it's fine. Um, our next book is Love Pamela by Pamela Anderson. I'm looking forward to that episode. Yeah. Uh, All right. Bye. Bye, Bye. everybody.
Todger would be all over the front pages 